welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Terry on November 27th, Lord's Day Service. like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray together. Glorious, gracious, and almighty Father, may your word sweeten and sanctify your mercy by helping us to see clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus heals blind people... He heals them physically and spiritually. Spiritual blindness is a blindness that begins in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5, The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, Adam and Eve did eat of the tree, and their eyes were opened. And human beings have been spiritually blind ever since. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The condition is blindness. It's spiritual blindness. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came because we are blind. And to fully appreciate this fact... You have to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah that's prophesied about in Isaiah chapters 40 through 60. Isaiah chapter 40 through 60 is depicted as the new Exodus. This is particularly clear in Isaiah chapter 43 verses 16 through 19. It prophesies about a Messiah who is the divine warrior of the new Exodus that leads God's people out of captivity. The promised Messiah not only liberates, but also shepherds his people. And part of the shepherding includes leading and guiding the blind. For example, Isaiah 42, 6 and 7, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Isaiah 42, verse 16, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. 
Still further, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 8 says, The Messiah brings out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. And so in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 40 through 60, it prophesies about a coming Messiah, a Messiah who will come and liberate his people, a Messiah who will come and give them forgiveness and mercy, who will shepherd them, but also a Messiah who will specifically heal the blind. And there's far more than physical blindness in view as they prophesy about this coming Messiah. And so from Isaiah's prophecies about the coming Messiah, we then turn to Mark's gospel. And we see that Mark arranges his gospel in such a way as to make it clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah of the new Exodus. In particular, Mark has a clearly defined section right in the middle of his gospel. It begins in Mark chapter 8 verse 22 and ends in Mark chapter 10 verse 52. This section begins with the healing of a blind man, and it ends with the healing of a blind man. And in the middle are a bunch of stories about blind disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, we have the story of the healing of the blind man in two stages. Maybe you'll remember that sermon from several months ago. And then, three times, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. And each time the disciples misunderstand, that is, each time the disciples are spiritually blind to what Jesus is saying, and Jesus then corrects their misunderstanding. And then this section ends with the story today, the healing of the blind man in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. The theme of this section is blindness. Or more particularly, the theme of this section is Jesus leading blind disciples on the way to Jerusalem as he heals blind people. God is using Jesus to fulfill the promise of the new covenant. And the promise of the new covenant is to transform both the heart and the vision of God's people. And we see this wonderfully exemplified in Bartimaeus, the blind beggar in today's text, the blind beggar who cries out to Jesus for healing. And as we look at this story, now picking up in verse 46, notice where this story takes place, and notice how it's emphasized. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. The author wants you to think about Jericho for a moment. And when you think of Jericho, what do you think of? When you think of Jericho, who do you think of? Well, you think of Joshua leading Israel to conquer Jericho in that wonderful story in Joshua chapter 6. And in Aramaic, the name Joshua and Jesus are the same. And now Jesus comes to Jericho. But when Jesus comes to Jericho, things are a little different. Because in the Old Testament, Joshua brought judgment to Jericho. But now Jesus brings healing to Jericho. And so Bartimaeus cries out in verse 47, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, he says. So not only is Jesus the new Joshua, he's also the son of David. Jesus is the new David. Jesus is the king. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, before David became king, 
he has to capture the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is controlled by Jebusites. And so we read 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. Well, as it turns out, David defeated the blind Jebusites and captured the city. Now, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on the road traveling to the same city, traveling to Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do with the blind people he encounters? Well, David defeated the blind Jebusites with his army. Jesus heals the blind beggar. As we read in verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. So notice, notice what Bartimaeus does in verse 50, after Jesus calls to him. When he hears that Jesus wants to meet him, he throws off his cloak, he springs up, and he rushes to be with Jesus. Now the cloak would have been spread out on the ground to receive the coins. Bartimaeus is a beggar, after all. But the cloak is a symbol. The cloak is an emblem of his life as a blind beggar. It's a symbol of his old life. And notice, when Jesus calls him, he leaves behind his only possession. He leaves behind his cloak without a thought, because now he has Jesus. And on this matter, compare Bartimaeus with the rich young ruler. Mark intentionally places the story of Bartimaeus after the story of the rich young ruler, which is earlier in Mark chapter 10. If the rich young ruler, in the story from Mark 10, verses 17 through 22, if the rich young ruler is on one end of the scale of social acceptability, the blind beggar in today's story is on the opposite end. And Jesus has been telling us over and over again, for example, Mark 10, 31, many who are first will be last, and the last first. Well, according to the scale of social acceptability, the rich young ruler is first, and blind Bartimaeus is last. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus also has told us, Mark chapter 10, verse 43, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And then Mark chapter 10, verse 44, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. We've been learning about in Mark chapter 10 how the kingdom of God reverses the world's values such that the last become first, such that blind beggars cry out for Jesus' help while rich rulers refuse Jesus' instruction. The rich young ruler owned many possessions, and he refused to give them up to follow Jesus. The blind beggar owns only a cloak, and in verse 50, he throws it off to follow Jesus. In verse 51, Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Now notice, what does Jesus ask him? Well, Jesus asks him the exact same question, word for word, the exact same question that he asked James and John back in verse 36. You'll remember that 
Back in chapter 10, verse 36, James and John come to Jesus and they ask for something. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what they wanted? They wanted the glory. They wanted to be at Jesus' right and left hand and receive all the glory they think is coming. Well, now Jesus says the same thing to Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar asks for healing. See, James and John can see physically, but not spiritually. Bartimaeus can see spiritually, but not physically. In verse 52, Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Notice that, on the way. On the way to where? On the way to, Jer to Jerusalem. On the way to the cross. This is what disciples do. They go from being blind so they can see, and then they follow Jesus to the cross. And so as we size up this story, Bartimaeus' problem is blindness. The disciples' problem is blindness, and our problem also is blindness. Bartimaeus persists upon Jesus despite the crowd's opposition. In verse 48, we too should persist in faith despite the world's opposition. Bartimaeus says to Jesus, let me recover my sight. We too should go to Jesus and say, I want to see. Bartimaeus follows Jesus on the journey to Jerusalem, the journey to the cross. And we also, once we see clearly, we will follow Jesus to the cross. This is the definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Where? To the cross. Jesus says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And make no mistake, Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? That's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. What do you want me to do for you? And by now, hopefully you can see what your answer should be. If the first thing that comes to your mind is, I want a new car, I want a new house, then you're blind, just like the disciples were blind, just like James and John we're blind. Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And rather than asking for status and rank and applause, you should ask Jesus to see clearly. Did it ever occur to you that maybe you can't see because you haven't asked? You should tell the Lord, let me recover my sight. And as you recover your sight, you realize that seeing is tricky. Because God's truth is easier to see than to live by. To really see the truth of God is to live by the truth of God. In other words, to really see the truth of God is, like we see in verse 52, to follow Jesus to the cross. To really see the truth of God is the daily struggle of faithfulness, the daily struggle of putting yourself to death so that you can follow Christ. Jesus has come to transform the heart and the vision of his people. Jesus works now through his spirit to transform your vision of reality. And so let's consider two ways that you know you are seeing clearly in this messy and modernized world of ours. 
Let's consider two ways you know you are seeing clearly in this messy and modernized world of ours. The first way you know you're seeing clearly is that seeing is centering. Seeing is centering. In other words, 2020 vision has Jesus at the center. So here's the problem. We live in a sinful world, a sinful culture as sinful people. Now we also live in the age to come. The kingdom of God is expanding and we are the laborers attending to that expansion. So the question for us is, how do we follow Jesus to Jerusalem? How do we follow Jesus to the cross like Bartimaeus did? How do we, in other words, live by the drumbeat of God's kingdom rather than the drumbeat of a corrupted culture? We must live in the midst of the world while also living by the beat of the divine drummer, Jesus Christ. You see, there are drum beats going off all around us. There are sounds going off all around us. But to listen for the drumbeat of God is to stay at the center. It's when we keep our ears attuned to God's kingdom, the eternal kingdom with the eternal king, that we stay centered. And then remember that this is Jesus' world. So then the question is, how do we do this? How? Amid all the noise... Do we hear the drumbeat of Jesus Christ? A world of constant noise is a world of constant distraction. And we are bombarded with noise. We are bombarded with distractions. In other words, we are bombarded with messages, notifications, apps, emails, unwanted phone calls, and endless news alerts. We are besieged with noise. We are besieged with distraction. Indeed, we invite it into our lives. Now, in the modernized world, we call noise information. And we pretend that gathering all of this information is education. And it's sophisticated. And it's making us smarter. And so we're constantly taking in noise. I mean, information. So that, so that our head's not in the sand. So that we're up to date. But what we're really doing is we're taking in, we're constantly taking in transient information, information that doesn't matter. You get 12 news alerts a day, 12 hours later, you can't remember one of them. Why not? Because they don't matter. And yet, the headline said, breaking news, and it was in all caps. And we really think it's important, and we really think, if I don't know what that app says or what that message says, I'm missing out. I'm not going to be informed. But in reality, as we take in all of this transient information, we're being knocked off the center. We enlarge our circle of transient knowledge. We have instant access to worldwide news reports and headlines. The sights, sounds, and happenings of the world, they enter our home, they sit at the dinner table with us. The problem, though, isn't knowledge as such. No, Christians love knowledge. In fact, if you find a professing Christian who's skeptical of knowledge, you should be skeptical of that person. Christians love knowledge. The dominion mandate means that human beings require knowledge because you can't subdue what you don't know. But we need to remind ourselves that not all knowledge is equal. 
As our knowledge of the world grows at an exponential rate, our capacity for unified knowledge, that is our capacity to see clearly, our capacity for centered knowledge around God and His Son, Jesus Christ, is undermined. God is not just one idea among others. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just one other daily news alert. Our phone dings. We look at it. A natural disaster on the other side of the world. Our phone dings again. A, a school board, 12 states order, uh, 12 states over, made some decision. Our phone dings again. Oh, time to read Bible reading. What are we doing? We're pretending as if God's ideas are just one idea among others. We haven't sorted what's actually important knowledge. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just another ding on your phone that you spend a few minutes with. It's not just another daily news alert. The saving knowledge of God comes within a framework which God himself has disclosed. The truth that God reveals in the Bible corresponds to what is actually in the world. And there are two sides to the modern information glut. With one hand, increased information can be harnessed toward the fulfillment of the dominion mandate. With the other hand, the bombardment of news, emails, videos, messages, and endless dings can bring down our ability to make sense of the world. It brings down our ability to understand that this is God's world, He made it, He's at the center of it, and that doesn't change. And so the danger we must guard against if we want to see clearly is we must guard against the danger of losing the center, which entails losing the center of who God is, what this world is, and what reality actually is. Now the point isn't to be anti-technology. Christians, as a general rule, don't need to become Luddites. But we need to be aware of, we need to be aware of the way technology and data smog affects us. We need to be aware of how addictive social media is and by design. We need to be aware of how addictive smartphones are and by design. Just because you grew up with those things doesn't mean you're not addicted, which is another way of saying you've been knocked off the center and you don't see clearly anymore. We need to be aware of how the rapid flow of information, images, factoids, and shallow shouting commentary has the potential to knock us off the center of reality as defined by God. In other words, information glut blurs our sight by threatening the center. When we are perpetually preoccupied with images and information, it gets harder and harder to return to the central space of reality, namely God. And so remember, that your job to see clearly is to fight for the center, to be grounded in the reality of the triune God who made the world. For Bartimaeus, who is at the center? Look, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so for Bartimaeus, seeing is when Jesus Christ holds the center. And so the first way to see clearly in this messy and modernized world is to remember that seeing is centering. 
The second way to see clearly in this messy and modernized world of ours is to remember that seeing is following. Seeing is following. In other words, 2020 vision follows Jesus to the cross. This is what we see again in verse 52. Once blind Bartimaeus regains his sight, he follows Jesus on the way to the cross. Seeing is following. And as we've just pointed out, the world we live in impacts our ability to know and love the Lord. In addition to the information glut, the modernized world is a highly pressurized, fast-paced, disposable, and impermanent world of 15 minutes of fame. And we are fools to think that living, that we can live in that world unscathed. The God of the Bible, against everything our culture judges to be reasonable, against everything that we judge to be reasonable, bids us to follow Jesus to the cross. Just like Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way to the cross in verse 52, so too we cannot know Christ. We don't see Christ clearly unless we follow him to the cross. And we have to understand what that means because in some sense for us that's metaphorical. I mean, Jesus says in Luke 9, take up your cross and follow me. So what does this mean specifically? Well, walking with Christ to the cross means constantly dying to all the perverted noise and self-serving impulses that live within us. As Christians, we are not our own. We've been bought by Christ's shed blood. Therefore, we are to submit our goals, our ambitions, our desires, our habits, our preferences and patterns to the rule of Christ. All these things must conform to God's will rather than the normalized patterns of our culture. Jesus bids us die, which means that the world of iniquity at work within us must be put to death. And this is the theme that Paul elaborates on in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, it is those who belong to Christ who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, this is what it means to follow Jesus to the cross. You are putting to death the sin in your life. And so why do Christians do this? Why do Christians with the power of the Spirit crucify the sins of the flesh? Well, it's because, as Romans 6, 6 says, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Or as we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, the passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. And that means that the sin within you needs to be put to death. It needs to be nailed to the cross. It needs to be rejected and repented of. That's what it means to follow Jesus to the cross. That's what it means to take up your cross and follow him. This is what Bartimaeus is doing in verse 52. He's following Jesus to the cross. Now, the Puritans called this mortification. And David Wells points out that it's a sign of how far American evangelicals are from the biblical program of godliness that the language of mortification is no longer found within our regular vocabulary. And and there's nothing there to replace it either. And so mortification refers to rejecting the desires of the flesh, as we see in Galatians 5.17, and then also rejecting the works of the flesh, as we see in Galatians 5.19. In other words, mortification 
is putting to death the deeds of the flesh, putting to death the sins in your life. And you have to understand how it works in Galatians 5, 17 through 21. The desires of the flesh then produce the works of the flesh. So there's kind of a process here. So you're putting it to death at both ends of the spectrum. And in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul teaches that the desires of the flesh can be sensual, they can be doctrinal, and they can be behavioral. And so we know as Christians, we read Bartimaeus, verse 52, he follows Jesus on the way to the cross. We know in Paul's writings that we're to be busy by busy with putting to death the deeds of the flesh in our life. And yet we have this way of just kind of ignoring that. And so why do modern Christians so easily ignore Jesus' call to put to death the deeds of the flesh? You know, it's, that's legalism. We just wipe that away with one swipe there. How, do, how did we get to this point where we can just ignore so much of Scripture that we can just you know, ignore Jesus' call to mortification of the sins in our life? Well, it, it's a really big answer. We don't have time for all of it. But it's because the language of Paul, the language of Jesus, the language of mortification is the language of a moral world. But you and I don't live in a moral world anymore. We live in a therapeutic world. And I don't have time to elaborate on this, so I'll just give this to you very quickly here and then we have to close. But basically, what Freud did over 100 years ago was he was intentionally trying to replace the God of the Bible. He was intentionally trying to destroy the moral world where you understood the nature of things had a moral meaning and human nature had a moral meaning. And he removed that and he constructed a therapeutic world. And so our blindness is because we're looking right here at Freud's therapeutic world. So when we read scripture telling us to put to death the sins in our life, well that doesn't even make sense to us because that's operating in a moral world. And we're over here blinded in this therapeutic world. And so that's how, I wish we could go into more but we're out of time, but that's how uh, we're so blind to this. We just ignore the gospel call to put to death the deeds of the flesh in our life. And so in conclusion, Jesus has come to transform not just your heart, but your vision. He's come to transform the vision of his people, and he works now through his spirit to transform your vision of reality. And for those with 20-20 vision, We've seen two things this morning. First, seeing is centering. That is, that Jesus is at the center of reality. And second, we've seen that seeing is following, such that we follow Jesus to the cross and through the power of the Spirit take up our cross daily. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, to your Son, Jesus Christ, every knee will bow. You are all in all in creation. You are all in all in redemption, in providence, in grace, and in glory. You are all in all in your church and in the hearts of your people. You are in all our joy, our work, and privileges. You are all in all in your word and sacraments. You are the sum and substance of the whole Bible. Father, we pray that you would help us to see these truths clearly. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.